the show you're about to hear discusses films, books, and TV shows in their entirety. Twists, endings, and all. Without fear of spoilers. So if you don't want to know who dies, who done it, or how it all ends, we strongly advise you switch off now. Hello, I'm Paul Tyler, and welcome to Spoiler. This week, we're watching 2014 British comedy drama, Pride. And just another final warning, we will be talking about the whole of the film. We will ruin it for you. So if you've not already seen Pride, go away, watch it now, then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right, on with the show. Imagine, if you can, living through turbulent political times. This is being recorded in 2019, and whatever your view, it does rather appear that no one is very happy. I listened to a radio interview this very morning where a relatively young politician declared that they were leaving politics as the abuse they and their office received was just too much. A veteran politician was also in the studio, and they shrugged it off and simply compared it to the miners' strike. 20,000 jobs have been lost in Britain's coal industry in the past year. Another 20,000 are expected to go in the next. By 7am, 4,000 miners were at Orgreave waiting for the coke lorries to arrive. Police had been expecting them. The first cavalry charge came a few minutes later, and it clearly worried the pickets. In 1984 and 85, divisions were as rife as they are now. Families split, and many enemy lines were drawn between the National Union of Mine Workers and the Thatcher-led Tory government. The press, the police, and those that chose to cross the picket line. 600 more striking miners had gathered in the village to waylay vans carrying miners to work. A windscreen was smashed and the driver, surrounded by pickets, accelerated. The picket was knocked down. What we have seen in the past few weeks is not picketing at all. It is an attempt by force to prevent others from doing what they have a right to do. Imagine, if you can, living through times where LGBTQ prejudice was part of the everyday news and the editorial voices were not that of tolerance. Admittedly, a tabloid, you know the one, no longer offers gay people money to leave the country. Fly away gays, and we will pay, was the headline. But it's there still, blatant homophobia at large in the publication. The same paper recently sent a reporter to the family of a former international rugby captain and told them that he was HIV positive. They called us perverts. Probably. There is a long and honourable tradition in the gay community, and it has stood us in good stead for a very long time. When somebody calls you a name, am I right about this, Jonathan? Dead right. You take it, and you own it. Pride is the true story of when the worlds of striking miners and homosexuals came together to prove that we have more in common than divides us. And to prove this point, let's do away with the pretense that the spoiler team aren't going to get right behind this film, and let's not worry about the highbrow critics. Let's just give you Paddy Considine's Welsh mining character, Guy, giving you a speech to a gay bar in 1980s London. What I'd really like to say to you tonight is thank you. If you're one of the people that's put money in these buckets, if you've supported LGSM, then thank you. Because what you've given us is more than money, it's friendship. When you're in a battle against an enemy so much bigger, so much stronger than you, 
But to find out you had a friend you never knew existed, well, that's the best feeling in the world. So thank you. And if you're not such a fan of peace, love and understanding, this episode might not be for you. But hey, fans of fun, come on in, kids, because we have got the best music. Later in the show, we'll be taking a look at the representation of LGBTQ characters in children's TV and films. But first, joining me here to dissect and no doubt pull apart this joyless couple of hours of cinema (laughs) are the fabulous Andy Goulding and Rachel Bennett. Hello! So, Rachel, and I wrote it like that as well, I'm asking you this, right? Mm -hmm. As someone who had something in their eye for quite a lot of this film, how much did you cry (laughs) during Pride? Oh, my goodness, I had so many emotions. I'm totes emotion during this film. I really am. It's just one of my favourite films of all time, I've decided. I've watched it many times. Every time it hits me right in the feels. And it's just wonderful from start to finish. And it makes me cry with happiness, with sadness, with excitement, with frustration. It's all the tears. Mm. And it's just wonderful. Excellent. Right. Leave that there. Now, Andy, I was quite bold at the beginning and said, right, all the spoiler team are going to get behind this. Uh, they're all there. Now, I think you've probably thrown a couple of curveballs here, there and everywhere. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this now. This is the last, last programme in this particular series. If... Uh, and I don't think you need Rachel levels of excitement. If you, <laughs> if you don't like this, I'm going to take my headphones off <laughs> and I'm going to walk straight out. Right. So, Andy, what about it? Well, I had a bit of a spring in my step on the way to the studio today because we've not really agreed on anything this whole series, have we, <laughs> so far? And I don't think I've ever come into the studio so absolutely positive that we're all going <laughs> to love a film as I am <laughs> with pride I, I mean I love coming there whatever we whatever we think of it but I thought end of term episode it's going to be a big <laughs> love in and I'll just yeah. absolutely 110% this was going to be the case so yeah. uh, it's well overdue I felt the same so it's funny we we had a little bit of a chat on Facebook about something else and I said I said to Andy it's so nice to be on the same page with a film for once and he said oh I have a funny feeling you might have the same thing in about 24 hours time <laughs> so I was so like yes this is going to be a good one <laughs> it's not going to be me just trying to defend something fiercely I, it is but you know sometimes we have these worries where we all sit here and praise something the content you know it's not as engaging or as challenging but ah, what the hey <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to spend uh, probably about 80% of this program uh, talking about the cast. Okay, <laughs> good. And here's why. Now, I, I think many times we've looked, we, you, you can look at an ensemble piece, and I've heard many, many reviews this time, and you look down a cast list, and you think, oh, all these great actors in it. Look at, mm. look at that list. Amazing. I'm going to love this. And you turn up, and it's a big old pile of poo. Um, when we bore on about the the, the casting during this when I'm going to bore on about the cast during this he said there aren't any scene stealers are there there aren't any they they work together and they combine together Mm. and it fits and each one of them has their own story and nothing takes away from the Mm. story it all adds to the story but vitally not too much yeah Yeah, I think that's really key as well because the theme of it is solidarity isn't it and so you can see that solidarity you can see all these great actors working together to create something amazing Mm -hmm. I mean there's been loads of films in the past about the miners' strike and about uh, LGBTQ rights but they've found this one amazing story that brings it all together 
and the, the theme that shines through it is solidarity over everything, isn't it? Absolutely. It really is. And I love this idea, this ensemble cast, because it totally is. I mean, you've got some big names in there, people like Bill Nye and Imelda Staunton, real scene stealers. But this lot, they just play it so beautifully. And it's it's subtle, but it's also powerful and it's... Oh, it's just wonderful. There's not few characters either. There's about no, 30 no. characters in it from to yeah. juggle. And amazingly, it doesn't lose any of them in the crowd. Mm. I was watching it, I was thinking, you could take pretty much any one of these characters and say, do you want to see a whole film about them? And <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, yeah, bring yeah. it on, I'd love to. Absolutely. And that's like a combination of good writing, good directing and a great cast. And Absolutely. I think everyone is brilliant in this. Mm. It's a... And that's really crucial, isn't it? So it's like the big names who we expect to be brilliant, like Imelda Staunton, like Paddy Considine, like Bill Nye. But then there's lesser known people who I'd not come across before. Uh, someone like Faye Marseille, who plays mm. Steph, mm. is just perfect yeah. in that role, isn't she? And uh, Ben Schnetzer, who plays Mark, who I guess Mark, you could say, is the closest you come to a, a lead character, maybe. Yeah, maybe. He, he's kind he's kind of a driving force, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, right away, without reducing anyone to two-dimensional types, you know approximately what function the, each character is going to serve. Mm. But it's not predictable in... in so you know what function they're going to serve, but you don't know wh- exactly where it's going to go with them. So I was thinking, like, very significantly in the early scenes when we're following Bromley at the beginning and is at his first pride parade and he's feeling lost and he's feeling nervous. And I think it's really key that the first character he runs into is Mike. Because I thought, if I'm ever in a situation where I'm lost in a crowd of total strangers... Joseph Gilgan is probably the most comforting person I can imagine <laughs> running into. Exactly, I had, an, I had a note written on that way. He's like, oh, hello. <laughs> like, oh, here we are. Yeah. yeah. But, but he's served that same on. purpose in uh, This Is England, didn't yes, he? Way back yes. when we talked about This Is England when he was Woody. Yeah. And it's, it's just that, that accent and that, that demeanour and everything. He's yeah. so, it's so lovely to see him turn up and you think, Ah, we're all right, instantly. Yeah, absolutely, instant comfort. This brings me to my next question. This is going to be a rapid fire Ooh. question uh, because Price. I don't want you to think about it too much. Okay, mm. if you overthink this, it won't work. So don't think. <laughs> do like your host. You know who you're talking to, right? Do, <laughs> do, do like your host does. Embrace your inner Paul. <laughs> and instantly, uh, we'll go Rachel first, then oh, Andy. Well, out of this cast, just instantly. There's no wrong answers, okay? There's okay. no wrong answers. Uh, who was your favourite character, Rachel? Oh, Steph. Yeah, I was going to say Steph. <laughs> Now, I think the reason that I wanted that quickly is to make my point because uh, Dominic West character, Jonathan. Yes. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. I felt like I knew everything about him yeah. just by him doing so little. Yeah. Uh, just by the way his mannerisms were, just by I've met this person a few times before, someone who's lived yeah. and who, uh, against all odds, keeps on living. Yeah, mm, still alive. <laughs> I checked. I checked. He's, still, he's out there on Twitter. He is. Yes. He's brilliant. I'm definitely going to be tweeting him. Into his 70s now. <laughs> amazing. Mm. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, which is just fabulous. Um, oh, I thought one of you would go for Bill Nye. <laughs> oh, I thought, well, this is it, it's quick yeah, fire. But yeah, you, yeah, you, there's you, no wrong answers. No you asked me this again in five minutes and I'll say something else. <laughs> but I was just thinking about Steph because Andy mentioned her. Yeah, so. I mean, say it again and I might have said Gwen. <laughs> oh, Gwen's yeah. brilliant. Where are my lesbians? <laughs> so it's funny as well. It's this, the writing is just, oh, 
absolutely scrumptious. It's so there's so much in there. Every line, there's not a throwaway line in it. It's either moving or it's funny or it's serious or it's or it's a mixture of all of it. And it's it's so authentic and it's oh, it's the deceptive, is gorgeous. isn't it? Because it plays as quite a kind of standard sort of one of these British films. Mm. Like I initially in my head, I group it with this group of sort of kind of feel good British films that came out sort of around the same era. And they were like critically acclaimed, but they kind of seem to be underseen. Not so I'm thinking like things like Made in Dagenham, yeah, uh, Sing Street, Good Vibrations, Handsome Devil. Yeah, they're all really good films. They're all real crowd pleasers. Mm. If only they could be brought to the crowd. To the crowd, yeah, absolutely. And Pride, uh, Pride was, I think it it got right to like the top end of the box office when it came mm. out, and then it just seems to have disappeared. I know. It's and it's tragic. one of those films that you feel like. The word of mouth could push it into everyone thinking of it as a classic. Cause it's one of those films. If you put it on every week, it'd be one of those things. You just flip in channels. You could come in anywhere and you would watch it to the end. Absolutely. I was just about to say that. It's one of those films. And Tim's the same, my housemate. We watch it. If we're flicking about and it's on, oh, we'll just watch a bit of this. Yeah. And we'll watch it to the end every time. <laughs> and then what I said to him, because he's not been entirely chuffed with a lot of the things we've chosen this this series, but I said to him, while oh, we're doing Pride, oh, brilliant. Well, let me know when you're watching it. <laughs> so it's totally different. And he sat there and at the end he went, do you know, I think that's one of my favourite films of all time. <laughs> and it is, it's just so, I hate this this word, but it's so true. It's so watchable. It's just, <laughs> it's just ace. <laughs> so maybe books are readable, but it's it's true. You yeah. just watch it again and again and again and again, and it doesn't lose anything. It's funny, that, isn't it? You can say that as a, a compliment about a, a film, and you can say a, a readable for a compliment about a book, but if you say an album is listenable... <laughs> It sounds like you're really underselling it. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, what a perfect way then to turn to the music in this and the soundtrack. Do you honestly have you got the soundtrack? I was looking around on online. I was I was actually looking to buy some for the team, but they're really expensive. They are really expensive. And I love you guys, but <laughs> I, I can't afford that. You know, so yeah, I think. As I long as you know the thought was there. The <laughs> thought, Thank you. And the, the thought, thought that counts. Counts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Andy made those CDs for us that time. Johnny's <laughs> given the team mugs. I've thought about something. So. And I haven't even thought, so well, I'm the worst. Well, and, you, and you said the word watchable. I mean, I think we need to... Uh, yeah, I'm really sorry. I'll yeah. wait until the last episode There's of the series. End of term report on Rachel's input. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I have got the, the soundtracks broken up across yeah. various albums anyway. and it's, yeah, it's, Isn't it brilliant to, uh, to hear Bronsky be in there? Cause yeah. Again, they're a, a band that seem to get overlooked. Yeah. Mm. And then you hear Small Town Boy and you think, mm. how is that not constantly like cited as one of the great songs of the 80s? Absolutely. And uh, Love and Pride by King, which came up yeah, as well. Which yeah, yeah. I'm all about that song. Yeah. Absolutely all about it. But uh, I think For a Friend as well, by the Communards, was, was that written for the it real was Mark Eshton, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, Jimmy Somerville and Mark were good friends, mm. apparently. Which and just makes it even more sad. Well, your man, the Reverend Richard Coles, have, you, have either of you read his book? No. no. Oh, well, we don't do uh, recommendations, obviously, but <laughs> flipping out, read that. <laughs> it is quite a piece of work. It wow. is really, it's, there's absolutely no holds barred in it. It's, wow. It is absolutely something. Oh, speaking of the band King, I once looked up, it's really frustrating. I looked up because I thought it occurred to me. I wonder if there's ever a time when King, Queen, Prince and Princess were all in the top 40 at one time. Now, if you'd have asked me that, I would have said yes, I think there was. But... It's the right era, but they were never all in the top 40. Oh. I think I got three at one point, oh, but, but not all of them together. <laughs> we also got me thinking about, and I can't remember, because I'm I'm going on about this a lot to people at the minute. Now, I can't 
say if I've sat behind this microphone and talked to you and our glorious listeners about it before. But talking about this was an era of protest songs, right? Mm. And yeah, um, not just protest songs. I mean, obviously, there's uh, as soon as Billy Bragg strikes up his guitar, <laughs> yeah, protest music. Um, but <laughs> co- uh, culturally and socially aware music. Yeah. yeah. Um, Quite a lot of time written by a, a gay duo, one stood behind a keyboard, right? Mm. That's exactly it. And that's exactly what I grew up on. That's, I loved all of yeah. that. Every single band that that happened, I was all about. Um, but right now, right now, in the hit parade, there's a young man called Slow Tie who is very sweary. You can't play it in front of your family, really. But talk about socially aware. This is, this, is where the, this, is, this is where the kids are at. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. The kids know where it's at. <laughs> um, and also a young man uh, in particular that I... Th- think you would like uh, called Declan McKenna who I'm driving the kids to school at the minute and they're singing they're sat in the back seat singing songs about how wrong it is that the British are supplying arms uh, and people in the <gasps> Yemen are dying Wonderful. right wow. that's that's pop music that's what's happening and that's from this guy that's from Declan <gasps> McKenna yeah British bombs in the Yemen is the track you want to look up but I would recommend going mm. for a lot more as well so it's, it, it is now so it's, it's, it's very easy for us so certainly me as an old bezzer to look back and think, <laughs> oh, they don't make it like they used to. Now, exactly, that slow tie character, right? It's not my kind of music. He's very shouty and very sweary, but he makes his point. Yeah, uh, my nephew listens to a lot of hip hop and rap and stuff like that. And the stuff that he listens to, because I assumed wrongly, and because my age, that all hip hop <laughs> and rap was probably about sex and, you know, gangs and, and many stuff cars like that. It's and not. Stuff it's no, actually not. There's not. an awful lot. That is about mental health, about culture and social injustice. And it's astonishing how much there is out there. And it's really good. And it's really hard hitting. Mm. And they're listening to it. And they can they can recite it as well. These young kids, they I don't know how they do it. Because there's no there's no clear chorus verse. No one that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's hard to learn it. Yeah. But they, they learn it. Yeah. And they regurgitate it. And not just that. They do know what they're saying. Yeah. And so, yeah, you are right. The kids do absolutely know where it's at. Thank heavens. Yeah. They'll come and save us all. Oh, God. If we can just keep the planet going long enough for them yeah, to get to the, the right worry, age. <laughs> so much faith in the young people. Come on. <laughs> and we say that here. And we say, is no, when we record this, it's November 2019. We try not to be too time specific on this. But as we do it, there is almost literally water lapping around our feet. Yes. <laughs> Isn't it? Coming yeah. up from the brilliant brave of Paul in Lincoln, which is, uh, well, it's becoming, you know, less of a pool, more of a yeah. sea. Yeah. Absolutely. Climate change, there it is. But to end on this as well, I just want to add a bit more further listening. I'm so sorry for because you know there's one person in the world who hates recommendations <laughs> is this guy, <laughs> this guy talking right now. Um, but actually, last night I discovered a public service broadcast album that I wasn't aware of called uh, Every Valley, which actually links into this uh, because it chronicalises. Oh, man alive. Say it, say it. It's a good word. <laughs> it's not a word, though. I'll just say it. I'm doing it, a master's degree, and trust me, they just put eyes on the end of everything. So it just makes sound more academic. In which case, it chronicalises the rise and decline of the mining industry (laughs) in Wales, uh, which makes it sound less interesting than it really is. And it's got James Dean Bradfield from the Manics on top form as well. Right, Okay. right, so I'm going to stop going on about that now. Right, coal, discuss. (laughs) Discuss coal? Well, perfectly, perfectly. We've just been talking about climate change yeah things needed to change didn't they yeah, things needed to change way. egg there we go there we go there it's i mean the way right. this done. is me this is me setting you up for i feel like a, a guy on lbc now who oh, does now know careful. who <laughs> does know well i was thinking more james o'brien oh okay um, the only left voice on the program. <laughs> <laughs> um and i was thinking that it is it's actually very very interesting that when you look back and the time we're in now where we're saying right okay we need to use less coal so someone from the outside looking in might think well hey this is right. 
<laughs> but but no. take it away, Rachel. No, well, this is it. It was about the way it was done. It was about the decimation of those particular towns that were absolutely reliant on the mining industry. And there was nothing put in place or thought about for what they would do when the mines began to close down. Of course yeah. they were going to close down. But there was no thought given at all to what was going to happen to those towns. And there's still not. And the legacy of that remains. The effects on Wales especially, which was a high leave voting area. Mm-hmm. And I can I can probably trace that right back to the mining strike and what happened with the mines because the north and where the mine and there are mines down in Kent as well and they also had some awful things going on but generally it affected the north and the north northeast and Wales and we are still reeling from that total like pulling out the heart of the industry of, of the north and nobody replaced the heart sorry I was a bit of a complainer I'm, I'm very passionate about mm-hmm. no 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 that's, that's exactly why I set that question up yeah. Like that, yeah. to yeah. get that answer Cool. That's deliver. <laughs> <laughs> well done, right? Okay. It's that complexity, though, isn't it? You, yeah. you need to like you got to consider the people. You, you know, you yeah. want change, but you can't just rip the carpet out from yeah. under it and and everyone else sort yourselves out Absolutely. who's been decimated by um, that. The same thing happened in Sheffield with the steel industry, where they ripped all that out. I mean, thankfully. The EU put loads of money into Sheffield and, and regenerated it. And now it's something else. And it's it's really, you know, it's flourishing, which is fabulous. But that's just one place. Yeah. You know, and yeah. everything else has just become completely London centric now. And so necessarily all the northern people just feel left behind because that lack of manufacturing, the lack of support, the lack of anything. What we could have is this green industrial revolution where you could actually there is a real need for creating new jobs within the green energy industry. But we've got the wrong government at the moment, so. Yeah, and it's funny because we're recording this during uh, the election process, but mm-hmm. I, this one's definitely going to have to be broadcast after the election. Yeah. <laughs> Shame. Well, otherwise, uh, there's a Ofcom are going to be yeah, right yeah. into it. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're scheduled for that anyway. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. I think there's a crucial thing with this film, though, is that it's not, you know, you can, obviously, there's a left-wing bias, at it, mm. but it's, no one's a saint. No. So it's, they're, they're, I think they're very careful to make sure that it, it's not a, a load of saints on the left and and everyone else. So it's like crucially, there's two very key moments that I picked out. One is when Cliff goes over to see Maureen during the party, and he's he's trying to talk her into coming over, mm. and you see mm. he's getting yeah. through to mm. her, and you think this could be the start of something. And then I can't remember who it is, someone from the party, yeah. very drunk, goes by, shouts something that's insulting at her, yeah. and it just cuts it off like that. Yeah. And you think that's, that's, yeah. there could have been something, that could have that been the beginning have... of a turnaround. Absolutely. But it's been, it's been nipped in the bud immediately. The other bit I'm thinking of is when they turn up late for the rearranged meeting to see whether uh, lesbians and gay support the miners are going to be, uh, if they're going to keep them on board. And Sean comes in late and she has a go at husband saying, I assume you didn't speak up when he has spoken yeah. up in a way it's been very difficult for him to do. Mm. And the beautiful thing is with those moments is we don't revisit them. So there's no need to go back and see a moment where she realises that or she apologises or you see that any kind of realization, because those are the little slips that we make, that we yep. all make through our lives. And you just have to keep going and get past them. We don't always have those moments of reconciliation. And so it makes it so much more realistic and easier to relate to. And it just makes it a stronger, more complex film, I think. No, I totally agree with you. Yeah, that character, uh, Maureen, I thought she was really very, very interesting. Mm. And, um, 
I really felt for her because she's yeah. grieving. You yeah. know, she is grieving and she's lost in this world that she just doesn't understand. And as you say, just at this moment when, when Cliff's reaching out and you can see it in her face, beautiful bit of subtle acting, you can see her just starting to warm very slightly. And then that awful crude, and it is crude, yeah. thing that gets shouted at her mm-hmm. and bang, straight down. And that's what prompts her to go and, and go to the press yeah. because she's so hurt by that. You know, she's really damaged and nobody's trying to understand her. So... Yeah, I thought she was a very interesting character. It's really easy to just, you know, brushstroke and go, oh, she's just a bigot. Well, let's look at why. Let's look at how. Let's look at what her sons are doing. What is she saying? What are they saying? Where are they getting it from? You know, it comes from the media. Yeah. That's what they're reading. They're frightened. So I thought it was, it played that beautifully because it didn't sort of go, these lot are all brilliant. These lot are all horrible. No. It actually got into the nuance, which was fabulous. It's beautiful that it's Cliff who reaches out to her as yeah. well, considering that we later find out that he's gay as, yeah. as well. Yeah. And that he's, he's lived with that and not mm. told anyone. Yeah. And that scene, let's talk about the subtlety of that scene where they just butcher in a bit of bread and she's yeah. pointing out where well, you're cutting them wrong and all this yeah, kind of yeah. thing. And he just sits. It's the silence. There's the, the silence that does everything in that scene. Yeah. And he sits saying, I'm gay. I went, you know, yeah. she knows. She knows. Yeah. I love it. Since 1968. So, so he's probably been churning and churning and churning. Finally goes out. Yeah, no. Oh, <laughs> I've been... I've been building that up for years. <laughs> I thought it was a beautiful scene. The fact they're doing something so mundane, yeah. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just buttering some bread. It, it reminded know. me of Victoria Wood. Uh, there's a few, <laughs> a few <laughs> things in here that, that bring Victoria Wood to mind. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, there's a bit when the lesbians and gays first arrive and Gwen <laughs> pipes up and she says, no, I heard so- someone talking in the covered market about lesbians and... <laughs> I'm sure this can't be right, but and then someone just cuts her off, and I think that is a per. It reminds me of Victoria Woods and Alan Bennett because they have this incredible way. Of, they they don't do jokes like everyone else. Where it goes the punchline. Mm. They go the punchline. Da-da-da-da-da. So yeah. the funny bit in that is covered market. Just that little <laughs> detail. That's yeah. that's where the funny is. Beautiful use of and language. And then it carries on. So Absolutely. I always I always. Thought of Victoria Wood as, yeah. as someone like who knew the perfect moment to drop a word like hermesitas yeah. into something, and it, it just makes it funny. Uh, the other thing that immediately brought Victoria Wood to mind is the first scene where they receive the phone call, and it cuts to it, and it's Gwen, and she's a very long way away, and she walks very slowly to yeah. the phone, and straight away I thought two, two soups. soups. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly, really I thought two soups. If anyone's yeah. listening and doesn't know what we're referring to there, look up two soups, Victoria Woods. Oh. It's one of the few sketches that just doesn't get less funny the more mm. you see it. In fact, it probably goes the other way. <laughs> the first time you see it, it's hilarious. <laughs> then you watch it again, knowing what's coming. <laughs> then you watch it again, realising that the actors sat at the table know what's coming. <laughs> you see Celia Rimri biting the inside of her lip to stop herself from laughing. It's so funny. Yes, definitely look that up. That's the takeaway from this episode. Look up Victoria Wood, Two Soups. Over the years, as LGBTQ characters have become more widely represented on our screens, one area of popular culture remained steadfastly straight. Children's TV and film. Thankfully, in recent years, this has finally begun to change, as Andy has been finding out. Have you ever had a moment when you're arguing with a homophobe 
And every time you make a cogent point that could derail their viewpoint, they respond by completely disregarding what you've said, resetting the debate in a way that simply returns to their original stance and refuses to process any new information. It's tempting when you find yourself in this frustrating position to use the phrase, it's like arguing with a child. But to do so would be a disservice to children everywhere. After all, it's we adults that burden children with our own prejudices, implanting the idea that there is something inherently wrong or hilarious about gay people in minds that would otherwise have no reason or inclination to reach such a pathetic conclusion. The sad truth is, when arguing with a homophobe of any age, the more accurate analogy would be, it's like arguing with an adult. It's not okay to be gay, well I think you're just evil. Fortunately, the way we help shape young minds is finally undergoing a positive change, with a noticeable increase in representation for LGBTQ characters in children's TV and films. There's still the inevitable backlashes to contend with, but these are mostly now dealt with in the most effective way, by outright ignoring them. Where once delusional, hate-filled voices barking about the gay agenda had a greater degree of power over what reached our children's eyes and ears, the proliferation of fantastic shows spanning various age ranges has begun to drown out these voices and scupper their desire to ensure any other lifestyle but their own is kept invisible, all the better to make it seem alien, frightening and unwholesome. In the past, attempts to squash righteous moves to bring LGBTQ visibility into children's programming have been depressingly successful. In 2004, the long-running, big-hearted children's series Arthur, about an anthropomorphic aardvark and his friends, launched a spin-off series called Postcards from Buster. In the show, Arthur's best friend Buster Baxter, a cheery, fun-loving rabbit, travels across North America with his father, visiting different places, meeting the children who live there, and learning about their different cultures. Buster would then send a video postcard home to Arthur, thereby increasing awareness of other lifestyles across the country, and encouraging an open-mindedness in the characters and their impressionable audience. In the episode Sugar Time, Buster visited Vermont to learn about the production of maple sugar. Vermont was also one of the first states to legalize civil unions for same-sex couples, a fact which Postcard from Buster acknowledges when Buster meets several children with lesbian parents. These are all pictures of our family. Is that James? James, David, and I, and Gillian. So Gillian's your mom too? She's my stepmom. Boy, that's a lot of moms. Yep. The episode does not delve much deeper into why there are so many moms, but the fact that Buster is neither phased nor confused by this sends the right message and accurately reflects a child's lack of inclination towards prejudice. That's a nice picture. This is one of my favorite pictures. How come? Because it has my mom and Gillian, the people I love a lot, and they mean a lot to me. Unfortunately, there was an adult on standby to introduce that element. Republican Secretary of Education Margaret Spellings demanded that PBS return all federal funding that had been used in production of the episode brandishing the tired mantra, many parents would not want their young children exposed to the lifestyles portrayed in this episode by way of justification. Ultimately, PBS opted not to air the episode, and while it was shown on some channels, it seemed that this time the homophobes had won. Of course, this is a reductive conclusion, and what Postcard from Buster had actually done was lay some important groundwork for what was to follow.
When I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, there was practically no visibility for LGBTQ characters in children's media whatsoever. Given the brouhaha around postcards from Buster as late as 2005, it's hardly surprising. But it's still highly disturbing to look back at the Beano comics I loved and remember how Dennis the Menace spent his time bullying softies, a group of boys whose sensitivity and effeminacy were supposed to encourage us to side with Dennis's campaign of terror. With this in mind, any amount of visibility in children's films seems like a positive thing, and two instances in particular stood out in the early part of the 2010s. In 2012's stop-motion animation Paranorman, an 18-year-old jock named Mitch becomes the object of cheerleader Courtney's affections, and this romantic interest plays out across the course of the film. Towards the end, where these romantic team plots usually pay off, Courtney asks Mitch if he'd like to go and see a movie, to which he agrees, adding, You know, you're gonna love my boyfriend. He's like a total chick flick nut. This one moment, small though it is, was significant, as it not only made Mitch the first openly gay character in a children's animation, but it also marked out Paranorman's world as one without judgment. Mitch's comment is offhand without fear of prejudice, and Courtney's disappointment is based only on her romantic interest in him. She doesn't seem remotely shocked or disgusted by the news, making Paranorman refreshingly in touch with the growing, enlightened attitudes of the younger generation. A few years later, DreamWorks' How to Train Your Dragon 2 included a moment in which veteran warrior Gobber witnesses an argument between a husband and wife and remarks, This is why I never married. This and one other reason. The line was ad-libbed by Craig Ferguson, who voices Gobber, but director Dean DeBlois liked it so much he kept it in the film. These two moments, though significant, remain fairly minor in comparison with the developments that followed, and in each case the character's sexuality is positioned as a punchline, even if not necessarily at their expense. But with pointedly homophobic jokes popping up in the otherwise excellent Wreck-It Ralph and Toy Story 3, it would take more than a couple of throwaway, non-judgmental gags to redress the persistent lack of LGBTQ visibility in children's media. Fortunately, groundbreaking work was being done in children's series such as The Legend of Korra, an animated adventure series in which the female characters Korra and Asami had a close relationship which many viewers assumed to be romantic. Rather than leave it ambiguous, The Legend of Korra's writers attempted to make the romance as clear as they could in the series' final shot, in which the two gaze lovingly into each other's eyes. The Legend of Korra was also groundbreaking in its depiction of the character's sexuality as having greater fluidity rather than adhering to a strict divide between gay and heterosexual. These themes, introduced but not thoroughly explored, would become just some of the subjects explored by Rebecca Sugar's astonishing pioneering Cartoon Network series, Steven Universe. If you could only know what we really A show that is truly accessible to all ages, from the youngest toddler right up to the adults watching it with them, or indeed without any children present at all. Steven Universe offers the most thorough, inclusive, laudable depiction of gender, sexuality, identity and all kinds of love that you'll find anywhere in the TV schedule, without ever forgetting to thoroughly entertain as an action-packed sci-fi comedy drama at the same time. The mythology of Steven Universe is too densely complex to adequately synopsize here, but needless to say, the story of a young boy and his magical humanoid alien friends, the Crystal Gems, is the thrilling, uplifting miracle that children's TV has been crying out for. Though it has been subject to some very small attempts at censorship, 
and some predictable criticism from bigots. The impact that Stephen Universe's unabashedly inclusive, progressive approach has had is indelible, and the rise of its successors unstoppable. Sugar summed up the idiocy of the notion of a damaging gay agenda brilliantly when talking about a magnum opus. Queer youth deserve to see themselves in stories as much as other children, and, given pervasive heteronormativity, not allowing them to do so can be harmful. LGBT children deserve to see the prospect of love for themselves in the characters with whom they identify. The ideal of fulfilling partnership and true love, established as the thing to aspire to by generations of Disney cartoons, extended to all. And Pearl and Steven were on the edge of greenness. As I come to the end of this feature, the most encouraging thing is that I don't have enough time to talk about all the other series that now feature LGBTQ characters and can only fleetingly recommend She-Ra and the Princesses of Power or allude to Clarence, Loud House, Adventure Time, Gravity Falls and Star vs. Forces of Evil as shows that have featured some level of long overdue representation. I can only briefly mention the excitement I felt when the recent revival of one of the cartoon shows of my own youth, Rocco's Modern Life, featured a transgender character, or the thrill I get just knowing that even shows aimed at preschoolers like Hey Dougie and Doc McStuffins can now include LGBTQ characters among their ranks. <laughs> but it seems only fitting to end where we began, with the brilliant Arthur. At the time of recording, Arthur is in its 22nd season and has been on the air continuously since 1996. It's gratifying to know you can't keep an exceptional series like this down. It's even more satisfying to know that in 2019, after its previous attempts were scuppered by small-minded interference, Arthur finally produced a widely aired episode featuring a gay character, and he'd been there since day one. A wedding? Who's getting married? <laughs> Me. In Mr. Ratburn and the Special Someone, schoolteacher Mr. Ratburn walked down the aisle with his new husband Patrick, something which Arthur and his classmates fully embraced as they watched from their seats. And in millions of homes, lots of children were feeling the same warmth and joy. Although the episode was followed by a small amount of controversy, including a public ban in Alabama, the response of the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation says it all, and it is their wisdom with which I'll leave you. With LGBTQ visibility at an all-time high on television, including in the kids and family programming genre, this attack to censor content is not only mean-spirited, it's a losing battle. The uptick of LGBTQ characters and stories on kids' TV has been met with praise from families of all kinds, and media need to put context to the extremely fringe anti-LGBTQ organisations and individuals who speak out against any inclusion. TV worlds often reflect our actual world, and today that includes LGBTQ parents and families. LGBTQ parents and their children deserve to see themselves reflected in media, and if leadership of this public broadcasting station cannot serve the interests of the entire public, it's time to find someone who can. Thanks for that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I still love that. It's my catchphrase. I'm taking it. Um, so four years after the time that Pride was set, the Thatcher government introduced Section 28 
uh, which banned the promotion of homosexual promotion of homosexuality to children as an acceptable family relationship. Now, this was repealed by Blair, apologised for by Cameron, who for all his faults championed gay marriage. And as we're doing a further reading episode, while we're not here, Elton John's book, and this this is absolutely fitting for for, for where we're at now. Elton John's book. I, I talked earlier about Reverend Richard Cole's book and how eye-opening that was. Elton John's book is a hoopla of a story. <laughs> it, I mean, we know he's lived a life and he tells it and he tells it all here. And it's uh, I, obviously, I had the audio book, you know, we know the way things go, uh, performed brilliantly by Taryn Edgerton. And it is an absolute hoot, particularly Elton's <laughs> wedding story, particularly the story, invo- story involving Richard Gere, Sylvester Stallone and Princess Diana what? at a dinner party <laughs> at his house. Now, if that doesn't hook you in, if that doesn't I'm send in. you straight to the bookshop as they open up, it I, is... I want to leave the recording now. I know, it is absolutely hilarious and just I mean the way it's written I think when the book opens Elton does the introduction and he was uh, he gives thanks to Alexis Petridis who I think is the Mm. music journalist uh, for it and I think there's an element of his writing a steering I don't think it's necessarily ghost written but I don't think Elton sat around a, a word processor and did this either but the, the story's involving a shredder and the story involving a huge wig and a removal van. I, this is, Look, it is just... You're selling it well. You it really is are. an absolute <laughs> phenomenon. I, it's just, oh. Shall we do this for next series? <laughs> well, no, I've given my game... I've given the game yeah, we know now, you love it. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, there's, there's, so, there's so much to talk about in it. We need to... No, let's, next series, we'll do Elton chapter by chapter. <laughs> okay, right. New so podcast. Uh, we've spent... Well, we didn't spend 80% of the thing talking about the cast, but you get the idea. The remaining time, uh, I'm going to pick this whole thing apart. <gasps> How dare I know. And this, do you know what? I mean, the, here's, the, here's the thing. Obviously, I've had to look for other people's opinions on this because this is this hit me in the heart. This was actually, uh, I was in uh, the canteen at work when I finished watching this. Did you watch it on your phone? Of course I did. <laughs> Poor. I have got these fabulous new wireless headphones. <laughs> And they're really good. They've been things like I've got over my lug holes now. It doesn't make the screen any bigger, does it? It's, why does it need to be? It so you can see the nuances on the face and the subtlety of the acting. And it's got, oh, it's got a brilliant come screen on. on it. It's got a, it's got a fantastic. Do you just hold it really close to your eyeballs. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I can eat while I'm doing it. It's fun. Anyway, and anyway. the kids know where it's at, and it's now the kids are watching. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're all a little fillers. Take your widescreen <laughs> TV elsewhere. So um, anyway, I cheered uh, at the end. When the miners turned up, yes. So this is this. You know, I I, I sat at my word processor and I started to write. Right, we're going to need. To, we need to be. We need to have some critique in here, surely. No. No. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so I looked for other people's critique, and it took quite a while. I downloaded the IMDb app, and I'm not sure it's good for my mental health. <laughs> um, anyway, some plum uh, talks about, and I think I don't know. With I'll let you be the judge of this because I'm asking the questions here. Oh, I am James O'Brien. <laughs> uh, right. Was there a lack of Welsh actors? Yes, there was. Yeah. Was there a lack of gay actors? Yeah. Yes, there mm. was. Was there a lack of ethnic minority characters? Yes, but, but I have a thing about that, though. Yes, it was. It's However, representative of where they it are. was. It's based on particular people that exist or existed. Yeah. yeah. So you can't just fling, yeah. you know. But, you know, Mark and Joe and Mike, they were white men mm-hmm. you can't make them not white men yeah but of course there could definitely have been more ethnic minorities within background scenes but when you're representing real people and those are the real people mm-hmm. but they should have been they should have been and could have been welsh 
for sure, some of them. Although they did do really good Welsh accents, actually. Because yeah. that's a really easy one to make sound ridiculous. <laughs> it is. Now, I, so. I'm going to make myself hugely unpopular here. Oh. I know, this is turning dour, isn't it? I, mean, yeah. is I started this off, we'll I started this off very boldly by being a big celebration. It's because you're channelling James O'Brien. Stop it right now. Oh, we'll get it back. It's like a compliment <laughs> sandwich. Okay. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. James oh, what a horrible blanket. term that is. Sorry. <laughs> Close to the mic and point at things. And then start laughing. And go, yeah. I don't like the way he points at his producer. I mean, we've got a, we've got a producer we saying... We never point at Johnny, do we? No. It's rude, isn't it? I expect to. Anyway... We digress. Welsh accent. Right. Uh, I'm going to say it. Go on. Andrew Scott's Welsh accent. I didn't like it. No, because you know why? His Irish accent kept coming through. Mm-hmm. It's a bit too close, isn't it? Yeah. It's like when Liam Neeson does does Irish or anything. Scottish. It all starts well, yeah, or anything. Yeah. His just comes into a bit of a soup of, of a Gaelic kind of Celtic nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's what happens when Irish or Scottish actors try and, um, or Welsh, try and do their other accents. Mm-hmm. It becomes a soup of a Gaelic thing. You think yeah. you should have the boldness of Sean Connery just goes in Scottish. Yeah, just Whether he's a it. Russian <laughs> captain or whatever. It's true. It's, now, these, true. These it's soups, too close. It's too close to their own accent. And, and these soups do exist because I work with a fellow that uh, is from Northern Ireland uh, but has spent a lot of time in Scotland and Newcastle. Yes. So Ooh, he's got he's, Yeah, yeah. He's got, a, he's got a broth of an accent. Oh, I bet he has. So it's, but as, as generally as an audience, you don't, you know, you, no. you, you, you have to... You so, want it clear, don't you? Yes. I mean, these people and these particular real-life people... Born and bred, never left, never left, and we know they've never left Wales. So they should have a proper broad mm-hmm. Welsh accent. Of course, Gethin has left Wales, so you can actually forgive him for having a little bit mm-hmm. of something else in there because he hasn't lived in Wales for a long time. That's true. Did so it? So you could well, bother you that much? No. Did it no. take you out of it? Or no? No, because no, Andrew Scott's got that much charisma. Yeah. <laughs> Swine. Yeah. Um, now, right, I wrote this one myself. I didn't steal this from the internet. Ooh. And it's a question. Okay. Did that many miners really support the LGBTQ community at their march? More, apparently. Really? Yes, and more at the actual place that they went to as well. Can't remember the name of the place. But um, yes, I was reading about the real history of yeah. it because I knew if Andy was going to pick on anything, it would be um, something to do with like how true it was to life. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'll see how true it is just to make sure. Incredibly true to life. Um, and it, but they made it smaller. And in fact, there were more lesbian and gay support than minors members. 27 of them went over. And there was more support than they actually showed in the film. I see. So that was quite buoying. I was like, oh, that's yeah. good. Yeah, that was the great thing. They'd found <laughs> yeah. this amazing story that they didn't have to embellish or, mm, or yeah. change around. Or, yeah, in fact, they or made anything. it slightly smaller yeah. to make it more intimate, I think. But yeah, I mean, I actually watched, the, if you want to find it on YouTube, the Dancing in Delay, All Out Dancing in Delay, which is the documentary that the Lesbian and Gay Support the Miners actually made. And it's got Mark in there and it's got Mike in there. Um, and it's brilliant. And then and Sean as well, Sean James. And you can really see the casting and the dialogue and the setting and everything else. They've, they have absolutely studied that documentary. I mean, it's a really crudely put together, very sketchy documentary because it's just them that made it. Yeah. But it's it's so heartfelt and it really, it complements Pride so well, or Pride complements the documentary really, really well. And it's lovely to see the real Mark as well. And he was just adorable. You can see why people flock to him. Um, right, so I've uh, rather ridiculously 
I, I haven't made a note. I normally do this at the top of my notes, uh, but I think it's probably because the cast list was so big. Uh, I didn't. I haven't seen or paid attention to who directed this. Help okay. me out here, will you? So the director was a guy called Matthew Walkus. I think Walkus yeah. could be Walkus, yeah. but I think Walkus um, hasn't directed a lot at all. But his next project, I'm quite interested in because he is going to be directing Matilda, the musical <gasps> version. The Tim Minchin musical. <laughs> so I'm hugely excited oh, wow. about this. I think in any other hands, I'd be really worried. Yeah. But because he's directed Pride and he directed it so beautifully and so subtly. And full of joy. I'm incredibly hopeful about this. So don't let me down, Matthew. Because <laughs> I'm putting all my hopes in you. Yeah. When, so, do you know when we can expect that? Because I I'm think already it's next excited. Year. Next year. 2020. 2020. So could be one for future series, but I'm very excited about seeing Matilda because I think he'll do a cracking job. Mm. Can we give a quick shout out to Stephen Beresford as Absolutely, well? Absolutely, I had him script, down too, yes. Because I think it's an amazing script. Mm. Would I have known his work anywhere else? He, only, he hasn't done a lot either. No, he's, he um, he's, he's just recently done Tolkien, the mm-hmm. biography about Tolkien. Right, yeah, yeah. But yeah, not again, considering how fantastic this film is, the backstage crew, the, the director, the writer very seemingly inexperienced but not showing it at all from what they've managed to do Mm. I mean Pride for the director I think was his second film and the writer maybe third film so Mm. what an achievement well they've done this haven't they just yeah natural Mm. (laughs) incredible but maybe that's it maybe that little bit of rawness that little bit is more authentic because they're not they haven't got loads of experience they don't know all the tricks and blah blah blah. so they just did it authentic and that's the main word for this film is authentic for me Mm -hmm. it feels authentic absolutely we mentioned earlier that it's a bit of a tearjerker in a few places Uh, I was just wondering what were the the bits that got everyone (laughs) because mine's a bit unusual I think oh go on you go first oh a number of things (laughs) a number of things um as soon as Gwen picked up the flipping telephone, to be honest. <laughs> when she eventually picked yeah, up the yeah. telephone, yeah. Because I was originally laughing because, oh, it's two soups. <laughs> and then because somebody was accepting them. And so I was already like, mm, here we go. <laughs> and, um, and then when they met and then the song, because that's one of my favourite songs. Yeah. And obviously at the end when they all came out and then when he met Russell Tovey on stairs and, oh, there's so many bits. I was a wreck. I was a complete wreck. <laughs> <laughs> you're on specific bits, but... Uh, Paddy Constantine's speeches, both oh, of them. We yes. played uh, the first one at the top of the programme um, because I found it so powerful. Mm. And uh, the one later on as well. I mean, mm. you know, give the guy... I mean, he really is... The intro to this, right, my, my opening lines and my hook was going to be about Paddy Considine. And then I thought, well, no, because my end of this was about how level it is in the playing field of everyone else. All right, admittedly, we put his speech in, in, in the opening. Um, but both of those hit me and hit me mm. hard. Yes. <laughs> um, and just about, you know, the friendship and the banner uh, that they oh, have and then the banner. When, there we go, when the banner came up at the end. Yeah. Oh, Absolutely. Banners. As soon as I saw that handshaking banner that represented <laughs> everything uh, across it, uh, I'd gone uh, I'd gone when the miners turned up particularly at the Emerald I'll punch in the air as well at the same time just going yes for me uh, it was it's a, just a little bit but one thing that I really love seeing and that really kind of gets me well up on screen is just people getting on yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. especially when you see like new friendships forming and so the bit that we're I really like I've rolled up a few times before but the bit where like tears actually sort of went down my cheek it's just a little bit and the character played by Kyle Rees crosses the floor and it looks like there's going to be a confrontation oh yes yeah. and he says you'll have a pint then will you yeah <laughs> and that that just 
it's that thing of buying someone a pint. It's this lovely little warm tradition that we've got. You know, like when you you get to know someone and you you feel a friendship for them and you don't know them well enough to buy them any other kind of present. But that's just that little present you can buy them. Do you want a drink? Yeah. Do you and and it's so it's so lovely. It's a bit later on when Bromley has left home and he walks into the pub and Steph's there and she's got him a pint ready and she slides it across the table for him and you can just feel that lovely warmth and it's just just seeing two people for the first time hit that point. It basically, buying someone a pint is almost like saying congratulations, I like you, let's yeah. drink to that. Aww. No, I see what you mean. It's a bit like a Western version of Namaste, isn't it? <laughs> I have never heard such a hint about who's buying the drinks up there. No, right? Well played, sir. <laughs> um, I felt, in a way, that this was... You know, sometimes you go away for a weekend and you have an amazing time, away from your everyday and the mundane, and you come back and you just... You get that melancholy coming back for it. And this was one of those films that left me... Missing the characters. Yeah. Um, like at the end of... When we talk about endings, the endings of any long-running series, and I don't care who you are. If you're talking about the end of Harry Potter or Game of Thrones, most of these people aren't too... They, you know, they, they'll talk about the writing, really, emotionally. They're missing the characters now. Mm. They're missing wondering what's going to happen next to them. Uh, now, because these were real-life characters, we had the, the joy of, of sort of... Well, with the joy and the sadness as well. Sorry, I, I apologise. Of... Seeing what what did happen next, mm. you know, because this is the point of the program where we would normally say, "What happened next?" To these characters, yeah, we know, and we know. Mm. So yeah, unfortunately, Mark sadly passed away. Jonathan somehow kept going, yeah, um, and Sean took Jonathan's advice, and that was again a lovely scene. How could mm. it not be? Yeah, that was wonderful. Um, and uh, what? Where did Sean end, end up? I know she went. Sean, to, she went to college. Where did she go from there? She ended up being a Labour MP, and she was until a couple of years ago when she stood down. Um, very left. Um, a bit too left for that current government at the time. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, she she's very anti-war. She always voted against the war. She voted for the um, Iraq war investigation. She's really right on socialist left woman and has stood down now because she feels she can do more good outside of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. So she's still doing work for human rights and social justice. Of course she is. <laughs> she's just absolutely astonishing. Um, and how wonderful that it was that particular thing happening that gave us this wonderful MP for so many years. And would she have ever thought about that had she never been involved in the lesbians and gay sport, the minors? Possibly not. Mm-hmm. So what a wonderful um, legacy from that particular thing. Right. OK. Well, I think I know where this is going. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we get to our rating thing. Uh, and as you all know, we don't do uh, four or five stars. Who does that? We don't. So ready for this? Yeah. Did it fill you with pride? <laughs> or could you not abide pride so much you cried and you thought it was snide? No matter how hard you tried, you've gone against the tide. No matter how well you hide, inside you've died. Your brains have been fried all because you couldn't be plied with pride. <laughs> <laughs> and Johnny, this Johnny is... can we cancel my poem at the end? I can't <laughs> no, 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 follow no, no, that. No, no, no. This, this is why Andy is the poet. <laughs> he doesn't just have a look at the rhyming dictionary. <laughs> on Google to find out what rhymes with pride. Well, you tried. <laughs> hey! There we, go. there we go. All right, so as we end the series on a joyous note, thank you. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Andy. Uh, but most of all, obviously, thank you for listening and downloading. Uh, please do tell your friends if you've enjoyed it. If. 
Oh, you would have got this far if you hadn't. <laughs> and you're bound to have enjoyed this episode because oh. it's been ace. <laughs> <laughs> Fans of fun, come on in. Uh, and now we will leave you with the true poetical genius, Andy Goulding. Through semi-chewed mouthfuls of plentiful food, you sneer that this postal strike's selfish and rude, especially with Black Friday on the horizon, impeding your path to a discounted Dyson. If our tenuous hold on our most basic rights are really that far from your self-obsessed sights, and for you the most grim, unimaginable fate is your Jeremy Clarkson book reaching you late, if convenience remains what you care about most, then your empathy must have got lost in the post, and each time they tried to deliver enlightenment, you were out feeding your sense of entitlement. Look out for the card that reads, while you were out, you missed the whole point of what life is about. And if you're that genuinely odious type that can't resist stirring reactionary hype and actually set aside valuable time for harassing the protester on the front line while ignoring the sign that they're using to pick it, your cake hole's just one place I hope they might stick it. You've been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Burnett. Our theme music was composed by Ron Butcher. If you've enjoyed the show, please do tell your friends about us, share links to our show, or write us a nice review on iTunes. If you'd like to contact us, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter or Facebook, or go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hall and is a Joe Schmo production. The show was recorded at the studios of Siren Radio in the heart of the beautiful Cathedral City of Lincoln. Is, is that a place?